Dawn. And I'm Tracy. And we are Real Women. Good afternoon, Tracy. Good afternoon, Dawn. So really excited today. We have got Dr. Claire Burney, who is a clinical psychologist and she specialises in attachment and trauma. Good afternoon, Claire. Good afternoon. We know each other from uh, a, a shared community. So I know what you do. Um, and my understanding is that you help uh, you help ambitious business women who want who just want more. Um, and you use your clinical psychology skills in their attachment and trauma issues to be able to break through barriers. But um, please, will you will you tell us a little bit more about what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you say, I'm a clinical psychologist and I specialise in attachment trauma. What that means, because not many people know what that means. What it means is the difficult relationships or the difficult experiences that we had within our attachment relationships growing up. So normally that's our parents, um, but it could be other people who are our caregivers. Um, but it also can be other people that are important to us as well in our childhood. So um, it could be peers or other family members. Um, siblings as well comes in a lot with um, these woundings. And also another one I hear a lot are teachers or, or, or coaches, so like sports coaches. So anybody we have an important relationship with. And then it's those, it can be one experience or it can be a series of experiences that can create woundings within us when we're little and we then carry we internalize those woundings and we carry those woundings into our adulthood and so it can create lots of layers um, of protective layers that we then adopt and um, they're the patterns that we tend to be more consciously aware of so lots of times when I speak to people, they don't really know what, what I'm talking about. Um, it's the surface level things that they're aware of. Um, it could be things like anxiety, depression, or it could be certain patterns that they notice. Um, maybe it's self-sabotage or maybe um, perfectionism, overworking. Um, it can be addictive type patterns. They're the ones people are aware of, but they don't know where those things come from. So then I help people to um, be able to connect those back to the root cause and then work on healing and shifting those patterns. So self-sabotage is a huge one. And I think that that's, that's it's probably a trendy sentence at the moment, but actually it's quite true and we all do do that. And it's probably for me, one of the more fascinating ones, especially when you, well, you're taught, you, you deal with ambitious women. Um, and it's it's incredible how many of us are really capable, uh, well-rounded, blah, 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 blah. And yet we self-sabotage. So I think that that's and 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 so what kind of what kind of thing, I suppose it's a, how long's a piece of string. What are the most common things that happen to us in childhood that cause things like that to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are some common ones, but obviously this is it can be really personal as well. Um, but experiences, particularly where we have been ridiculed or shamed in some way, um, humiliated, um, those sorts of experiences can create a lot of wounding. Um, times when we may have been criticized a lot or um had a lot of judgment placed on us. Um, times we've been rejected, abandoned, 
um, ignored emotionally, um, emotionally neglected. So I know neglect is sort of an abuse um, term. But when I talk about these things, they're on a continuum where, you know, most people wouldn't name their childhood experiences as abuse necessarily, um, but they fit on a continuum where they can be really wounding still. And so we don't necessarily notice what those experiences are. Um, oftentimes when, because things feel so normal, they ha they're happening regularly, they're part of our family patterns, um, we just see them as normal. So we don't necessarily identify them as something that's created this wound. But those are the sorts of experiences that um, that lay the foundations for us then to be um, adopting that self-sabotage pattern as a protective mechanism. So lots of times people will say, my problem is self-sabotage. You know, it's getting in the way of me achieving what I want in my business. Um, it's getting in the way of other areas of my life. I'm setting these long-term goals and I'm just not meeting them um, because I'm, I'm sabotaging them along the way. And they think that the sabotage is the problem. Actually, it's these wounds that are underneath the problem that we that we need to work on because self-sabotage is a protective mechanism. So it's protecting us from feeling that wound again. Yeah, so lots of people have fear of success just as much as they has, have fear of failure. And and it's presumably unconscious wounds often, as if I've understood that right. Yeah. So, yeah. So how the heck did you get into this? I mean, <laughs> it's, I love it. How did you get into it? Yeah, so I came to psychology um, later. I didn't go to university straight away. I did other things, went traveling, didn't know what I really wanted to do. Um, but I knew I wanted to help people. And so I came back to it. I looped back to it. And when I started, it's a long journey to, to get qualified, properly qualified as a psychologist. Um, you do your undergraduate degree, you get some experience, and then you go back and you do your doctorate. Um, so when I started that journey, I thought I wanted to work with adults. I was pretty sure I wanted to work with adults. I wanted to help them. I didn't want people to be alone with their struggles and with their pain. I wanted to help them to heal and grow and, and reach their potential. But then when I started the clinical training, there was one training. It was a mixture. Our doctorate was a mixture of teaching, placements and, and research. So it's not pure PhD. Um, and we had this chap come in to talk about forensic psychology. And he was telling us all about his time in prison and all the different things that happened in his life. And he started his life story um, talking about being in the care system and how things had gone really wrong for him really early on in life. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, we're trying to help adults who've been, you know, struggling with these things, oftentimes for many years. Why aren't we helping people earlier on when these things are happening, when when these wounds are being created? Why aren't we helping people then? Like, let's help them like at the beginning. So I started leaning more towards attachment theory and more systemic ways of working versus individual ways of working. So what I mean by that is when we look at things as like an individual problem, like you've got this thought process or you've got this emotional difficulty, it's sort of like we believe it's within us as individuals. Um, I really rejected that notion because I just don't believe that we are just separate entities that, that carry along these problems just all by ourselves. I believe that these are understandable reactions to the environments that we have been subjected to, that we've grown up in. 
So I started changing the way that I thought about things, changing the way that I um, help people to work more systemically. And so I then I was working in um, services that were more um, attachment oriented. So I worked with mums who were struggling to bond with their babies. I worked in a couples therapy clinic, a family therapy clinic. And then I spent many years in a service um, for children who were fostered and adopted. So lots and lots of developmental trauma, lots of attachment problems and helping the system around that child rather than seeing it as an issue that's just within that child. So that's kind of how I ended up working in this way. I I was drawn to it. It makes sense to me. Um, And now I work with adults again, but using this perspective. So helping people to look back at what their early experiences were like and how that's linked to um, the the patterns that they're experiencing today. Like, who do you go to? Yeah, well, we all have our own therapy as well. Um, so in during training, we're encouraged to, to go and seek our own therapy. You know, we can't take people through a process that we've not been through ourselves. So it's it's a bit different. The psychology industry is different to the coaching industry. So my my marketing is not I've gotten from A to B. I can help you get from A to B because I've been there. The psychology um, field doesn't promote that way. You know, we promote ourselves as people who are trained in different um, psychological theories and different therapy models. And so that's how we can help people because we've been trained in these different models. But actually, we need to we also need to have gone from A to B ourselves because we can't sit with people who are in depths of despair and in and in um, core pain unless we've gone to those places within ourselves. So, yeah, it's absolutely encouraged that we also have our own therapy and we also have supervision as well. So we take um, different cases or different um, moments in that work to supervision to discuss with a supervisor. So, um, yeah, lots of different ways. So how so how do some of these and obviously we're not you know, we're not expecting you to name names or anything. We're looking at the general viewpoint. But for businessmen and women that have gone through some sort of childhood trauma, how do you see that manifesting now in the desire to grow their business and develop their business? Yeah, absolutely. So I always thought that the biggest trigger for people was having children. This is the time when lots of these patterns are brought up. And and it's true, right? Like we do have a lot of things that get brought up when we have kids. But there is another time when these when this stuff gets brought up for us as well. And that's when we start our own businesses. It's not the same when we're in employed positions. We're often able to find somewhere in our comfort zone. Um, We can um, stay hidden in behind a badge, behind a job title. When we start our own businesses, we know that we have to actually face a lot of these things, um, a lot of these blocks and barriers, a lot of these um, are, are uncomfortableness with stepping outside of our comfort zone. And so being in business also brings up a lot of people's internal patterns and blocks and barriers. Um, so lots of people will experience that as stress. So there's lots of people that feel very stressed, um, which is a nice way of saying fear really when we're in stress we're actually in a state of fear and there's a lot of people going through that strive burnout pattern uh, where you you push and strive and and try to to progress and then you burn out and then you pick yourself up and and you you strive again so there's lots of people going through that pattern 
um, confidence. So people who are struggling to um, claim their space in their industry or they're struggling to put themselves out there, maybe it's marketing or maybe it's taking the next step that they feel like um, they've reached where they where they can progress to and, and they don't feel confident to step to that next level or step step to that next income bracket. These are probably the most common ones, um, but there's lots of fear of judgment, um, fear of criticism, that fear of visibility that other people are noticing you and, and might pass judgment on you. Um, you might be rejected. Um, you know, there's there's lots of people who who change their friendship group as they're growing in business um, because different people can have reactions to to business growth. Um, so there's there's lots of different patterns that can come up in um, in growing a business that actually if we if we want to be able to grow our businesses successfully or we want to be able to grow our businesses successfully and feel a sense of inner peace and happiness and fulfillment, then it's really beneficial to start looking at what some of these patterns might be for us. I, I guess in some ways starting a business is a bit like having a baby, isn't it? So it doesn't surprise me that they come up when you have babies and when you start a business um just crazy so in in terms of you know do these traumas because we've got different levels of intimacy right we've got relationship you know intimate relationship partners we've got intimate business relationships where you're working very closely with somebody else and your success might be tied to them as well as you so do they impact different do they impact people differently if there's an intimate relationship involved, whether that's a, you know, a personal intimate relationship or a very, very close business relationship? Do those issues get bigger, smaller, stay the same? Well, they probably get added to because you now have the other person's, um, what they're bringing. You've got what you're bringing, what the other person's bringing, and then you have the interaction between those two patterns. Um, I, I also do couples therapy. And so this is something that I notice a lot with couples is, and it's the same with business partners or colleagues or even with a team, is that what we get triggered by, um, by the other person, um, directly relates to what they get triggered by. So we tend to have this reciprocal pattern where we're both being triggered. And when we look at what that trigger is, the theme or the meaning of that trigger, the 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 the, the meaning that we tell ourselves from that experience tends to link back to our childhood wounds. So it it just brings more issues into the mix, a different ways of responding, different ways of coping with things. So from an attachment perspective, you tend to have sort of two main styles of attachment. Well, there's four, but, but there's two kind of uh, common patterns. With attachment style, you have the people that lean in, the people that feel emotions really strongly. Um, they believe in um, let's let's talk this out, let's let's figure it out. The only way through this is to is to talk, and I'm going to kind of protest if things are not going well. Um, so I'm going to kind of lean in and, and get closer to you as a way of trying to fix this. And then you have the the sort of complementary pattern where you have people that lean out. So they dial down the emotion. They're probably not feeling those emotions very intensely. They feel like the solution to this issue is by stepping back, giving it space. That's the way to maintain safety. Um, and so they lean out and they withdraw. And that pattern, whether it's couples or whether it's business partners or different people in teams, 
um, can exacerbate and trigger the other person. So yeah. that, wow. that was my husband's pattern for a long time. Uh, I was the lean in, he was the lean out. And it would, like, I would take it so personally <laughs> that he was leaning out and then start measuring, uh, well, my love language is this. And so my solving strategy is this. And by the fact that he doesn't solve it the same way as me, does that, you know, I, I, I landed in a place of measuring how much he might or might not love me with that. And we're far beyond that now. We, we argue very differently. But that was the classic pattern. And I think it's interesting that you do attract the opposite of what you, and you know, um, yeah. and I watch my children grow. They are, well, out of my four children, three of them have got sort of, you know, lifetime partners. And they've chosen people. Again, I can see, I, I choose to describe it as complementary, uh, but you know that, that there's tension there when, <laughs> when they have a clashing styles. So why do we do that? Why do we why do we attract the thing that triggers us? Yeah, we're drawn to familiar patterns. So our brain recognizes that pattern in somebody else, even if even if we don't know them very well, um, we can be drawn to people that seem familiar. So they're they're replicating some dynamic from our background. Um, and our brain recognizes that and and feels like the familiar is safe, even if even if it doesn't actually make us happy, we can be drawn to a familiar pattern because it's it, it, our brain thinks there's safety and familiarity. Um, the other reason, um, and I think this is more of a sort of, I guess, therapeutic answer, um, and I believe this, is that we're drawn to try to heal our wounds. And so we're trying to have a do-over. When we're drawn to these people, what we're actually trying to have is a different outcome than the one we had before. So we're actually trying to overcome and we're trying to grow and heal. And hopefully when we're adults and we're in um, an adult to adult relationship, that that's possible um, because we now have agency over um, the growth of that relationship. Whereas when we're kids, we, we don't have any agency or power really um, to determine how those relationship patterns go. But when we're adults, we do. And so lots of people do seek healing through adult relationships and and those things can heal some of those wounds from our childhood what i find i've never looked at it from that point of view so so i i recognize and speak upon and agree you know we we have got subconscious love rules from how we were raised when we were kids and and they're usually subconscious and and like you say even if it's toxic even if it's not healthy it's familiar, so we we do that. I did wonder uh, if I'd have put an advert in the world press for the most selfish husband in the world. That's why. So I did wonder what I was uh, doing there. But um, what I love about what you've just said is that evolutionary perspective that almost the universe really is giving us an opportunity to heal. I'd never looked at it like that, and that's actually quite beautiful so i can imagine now i can imagine now if somebody was listening to this and they were in a relationship where those arguing you know those arguing strategies those interaction strategies upset them a lot maybe if they took only one thing which was hmm what opportunity have i got here to heal regards my sort of 
love rules from when I was young and see it as an opportunity. And that that's great. That makes us be nice to each other, doesn't it? Does it? <laughs> it does when we look at it that way. Um because actually the we can get really stuck in those patterns. We can get really hijacked by those those wounds. And so that pattern that I described um, with the leaning in and leaning out, the leaning in person is is feeling unloved and, and the lack of connection. And if that connects back to something in childhood, which it often does, um, the person believes that to be true, that lack of worthiness to be true. And so they can get really hijacked by that and not see it as a pattern or an opportunity to heal. And likewise, the, the person that's leaning out they also are struggling with um, how lovable they are, but in a slightly different way. They feel like they're not measuring up. They feel criticised. They feel um, that they're they're not they're not hitting the mark, and the person they're with isn't happy with them. And so that also triggers an attachment wound for them about not being worthy and not being lovable. So you know, when we drill down to the core, it's all about do we do we feel lovable? Um, we just experience it with a slightly different nuance. Um, but when people get triggered into those wounds, it can really hijack them and take over. And when that happens, um, people tend to go into their reactive patterns. It's only when we're able to um, get better at emotionally regulating so that we're not completely flawed or flooded or, or numb that we're able to um, hold on whilst we're feeling that emotional trigger and then be able to look at that pattern with a slightly different angle, which is why obviously lots of people do come for therapy to get that. So they're getting that insight and awareness and understanding, and then that um, that those next steps of, okay, how do we actually do this differently? And we don't keep repeating this pattern. So I, I can't help wondering where you've got a couple, and maybe you've got one person in that couple as recognised, doesn't necessarily know the answers. He's still trying to seek how they solved the issue, but they've recognised something in their childhood that is possibly the the position of their pain. Mm -hmm. And then the other person in the couple is doing the exact opposite in the sense that they haven't recognised, they just think the way they're behaving is normal behaviour because that's our mum, dad, uncle, whatever treated me. And... So they carry on in that pattern, in which case the person who, to me, the person who starts to recognise mm, there's something to what's going on doesn't actually get what they need to solve it. And I'm just wondering if when that happens, is that when the relationships start to break down? Yeah, it can. It can be. Um, what I tend to say to a lot of people um, in this position is we, we have to do the inner work ourselves first um, and I and I see this with couples you know sometimes um, people want to just come in for couples therapy and do a little bit of that first but there's there tends to be um, an important piece around us doing our own internal work um, and then seeing where we are on the other side of that because when we heal our own wounds and when we evolve and when we grow and we're able to um, understand our internal system and our external patterns, we can come at it from a different angle. And sometimes that can lead our partner in, in whatever dynamic that partnership is um, to do the same. Um, but if they don't, 
it might be that the person who has done that healing now isn't getting as triggered by that pattern because they've healed those wounds underneath. So now actually it doesn't feel as terrible. Or it might be that they say, well, I've I've outgrown this dynamic now and what I'm looking for is something different. And it's it's at that point that, that couples tend to separate. So, yeah. What? Go on, Dawn. I was, I was going to ask. So, you know, there's some DAs plodding along, getting on with their business, not going where they want it to be. What are the signs that someone can recognize actually what that this might be about is something that's happened in the past that subconsciously is now sabotaging your future? Yeah, I think it's a really tricky one for people to necessarily know that um, themselves. Um, but if people are um, interested in self-development, if they're if they're doing mindset things, um, it might be that they've started on that road to exploring that. Um, I see a lot of people who've tried to do mindset type stuff and it hasn't really worked and they've ended up feeling even more of a failure or even more broken, um, which of course it's none of those things. It's that the, those techniques, those that particular strategy didn't work for them um, because it's deeper than that. This isn't just a surface level pattern. So oftentimes when people turn towards therapy to, to start looking at where is this coming from, I want to understand this in more depth, is when they've tried a few other things and it hasn't really worked and they're feeling a real um discontent or or more than more stronger language than that um about their current patterning because that current patterning is getting in the way of either them reaching the success that they want in their business or they may have been successful in business but they feel empty or numb inside or they don't feel fulfilled or there's relationships that have, have been suffering along the way um or they don't have that inner peace they're feeling a lot of emotion um, and and that gets in the way of us being able to feel that sense of achievement of fulfillment. So it's usually then when people say, oh, I don't think this is right or it's not sustainable. I can't carry on like this. And they start to do that exploration. I think the really difficult thing is it's a complete minefield in terms of where people go to seek that help. And different people will tell you different things. Some people will say, you know, it's just about pushing through it. And, you know, there's a lot of coaching techniques that are all about kind of future focused. Um, you know, it's it's difficult for people to know where to go. I would say just if you're trying some things out and they don't resonate with you, it's not because you haven't done it right. It's because that that strategy or that method isn't the right one for you. And so keep looking, you know, try other things out and definitely be looking at people's credentials in terms of, you know, are they properly qualified? Are they properly trained in whatever it is that they're saying that they do? Um, and, you know, how long have they been doing it for? Are they registered with a recognized accrediting body? All those sorts of things just really helps to do that due diligence. Yeah, I was going to say, for fear of, um, the fear of being too outspoken for the listeners, um, I want. I once tried the EFT model, right? Tapping. I get it. For some people, it work. It works. For me, it was like this is fucking stupid. So you know, I love the fact that you say some things will work for some people and some won't work for others because you get a lot of 
let's call them snake oil sellers, right? The people that went on the internet somewhere, got a piece of paper after a two-hour course and said, right, I'm now a specialist in tapping. Because they exist, let's face it, don't they? They do exist. Um, <laughs> and um, so then they come and tell you that this is the be-all, end-all answer to what's going on. But what they haven't got, which I loved about what you said at the beginning, Claire, is they might have, and I'm not knocking people who go and train later on in life, but, you know, there, there is training and there is training. But they know how to do the tapping. They know the process, but they have got no sense of, is this working for this person? Are they benefiting? Where, you know, where do I apply what's happening to them with my own experience as to is it, is this going where it needs to be? Do I need to change? Do I need to tweak? And I think that in some ways can be something that will put people off because maybe they have gone to somebody like that to try and get a resolution. And actually that person might be trained in the technique they're using, but they've never once gone through therapy to solve those kinds of problems. Yeah. Um, so I won't talk about any one specific model, just so we're, you know, keeping it less controversial. Um, but some of these trainings you can do in a weekend or a couple of weekends, and then you're, you know, qualified um, and off you go. And so to the general public who don't know about this industry will think, well, this person's qualified. They've, they've said they're qualified in level whatever of this whatever model. The thing about that that's really tricky is it's a weekend. So, you know, how how much um, depth has that really gone into? But also there isn't any gatekeeping. So if you compare that to the training that, that myself and other psychologists we've done is we've had people have eyes on us doing therapy. So when we're training, we have supervisors that, that sit in in the therapy session or watch us through um, video connection to actually see what we're doing in session with people. And you have to meet certain key competences and criteria in order to get that sign off. So there's some gatekeeping to the industry. You can't just, you know, not everyone can qualify. Whereas these weekend ones, you, you get delivered the training, usually quite superficially, and then that's it, off you go. And no one's, no one's, no one's no, actually doing it or not. Yeah. I mean, I, years, years ago, um, I got very much into health and everything and started looking at retraining. So I, I did a formal course. It actually took me two years. Um, and that was to do with nutrition, predominantly specialising around juice nutrition. And that was more for me to use than it was to do anything with. But I just, you know, having been out there looking for things that, okay, I might go study that to help with my own trauma, I just noticed so many where it's a two-hour course and that's it. You've got this piece of paper and you're, you're set, you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, would you go? Well, you know, if you're listening here, the re I mean, you know, I love the fact that Claire said that there is supervision. They go, you know, they go through the therapy to deal with their own trauma. But it's a bit like saying, what I don't get is people will look, okay, my business is not doing great. I think it's because um, something happened when I was 12. Um, so what I'm going to do is I don't want to spend, you know, if I go to that person, they're 600 quid. If I go to this person, it's 49 pound. You know what? I'm going to go to the person that's 49 pound. I'm going to be healed. No, you're bloody not. 
And they, I don't know, I think sometimes, and I'm really, really for therapy. Uh, I'm not anti it at all, but this is why I get a little bit on my soapbox. I think sometimes the people that have done that weekend course and go and screw somebody up worse than they were to begin with are the ones that will often end up where the discussion about, oh, therapy, it's not worth going to. I think it comes from the people that have done a, a you know, a 50 quid weekend course and now they're out there trying to suggest they can heal the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. So just... what would you um, say to someone like me, ish, ish, I'll have a little go at these little things, but, you know, it doesn't always fit the bill. And where my conflict sits is I don't always thoroughly understand the point of harping on talking about the trauma for somebody who can talk for England I'm not terribly into talk therapy like talk to me about what you want to do talk to me about your hopes your dreams your, you know that sort of thing and I've only had one experience of going down a proper kind of counselling route and and I lasted a very short period of time all I could feel was that I was Spending money, and, and and this is of no uh, discredit to to the person because she was great, actually, but I just don't think it was for me. I think it was 60 quid a session, 65 quid a session, I can't remember, something like that. And I was sitting there for an hour regurgitating stuff that I had, I've regurgitated it about 20 years. I've so moved on from there. Mm. Um, so I understood, I understood the... Mm, the process that well I gotta tell her everything so she knows what I'm talking about but I stopped because I was getting nothing from that so in my head it's like right I'll I'll sit for nine months spending 65 quid a week regurgitating 55 years of shite uh, uh, and presumably that'll that that stru the structure of those sessions will change at some point but I, I was out and I just was like, why do I need to talk about all of this? What would you say to someone who was out of harping over the shite? Yeah, so just there's a couple of things, and there's lots of things I'd like to say, but there's a couple of things I'll say. <laughs> um, so even within the therapy field, there's different methods and models. So people obviously, you know, how would anyone in the general public know who aren't in this industry? Um there is a huge difference between counselling and psychotherapy. So counselling is where they're literally trained this way um, to sit and listen and to, you know, they're being very attentive. They're being very empathic and very validating. And um, but that's it. They're, they're not trained to guide or, or um, they don't have a roadmap for how do we get from here to where we want to go. So counselling as a therapy model is quite passive. Um, no offence to any counsellors, because it can be really helpful for lots of people. But for, for lots of other people, that's not enough um, that they've, you know, when people are telling their story, they're, they're in their activation or it's bringing up feelings and then not shifting that just by saying these words out loud. So what I would say is it's helpful to go to somebody who has a more active therapy model where talking about the story is information as a guidepost for where do we need to go? What are the key things here? So there's something in psycho psychology called formulation, which is where we bring in psychological theory to understand 
why someone is feeling the way that they are. So when someone tells us their story, we bring in that theory and we say, okay, this is what I understand from what you said. Based on psychological theory, this is what's happening, going on with you. So first of all, we've got clarity. And then we say, okay, this is where we are. This is where we want to get to. And there'll be a series of steps as to how we're going to get there. And it isn't just through regurgitating stories there's active methods and strategies and tools and techniques that create shift and change which is what's healing so it i don't know how many sessions you had but it it's it tends not to feel helpful for the first couple because we're in sort of assessment information gathering stage but after that you should start to feel something but lots of times people will feel um, and this probably isn't the right thing to say, but I'm being honest, will start to feel more before they feel better because they're actually opening up those, you know, what's behind this door, what's in this closed box that I've been burying and not looking at for all these years. If I open the lid on that box, that wound is still going to be there the same as it was when I shut it away. So to begin with, it might feel more painful um, and you're more in touch with those wounds and, but you can't heal what you don't feel. So we need to be feeling these things in order to heal it. And that's where the shift comes. Yeah. Do you think a therapy issue? Should we all find some version of, of psych, psychological assistance? I, I feel like we can all benefit from growth. I'm a real advocate for growth. I, I'm not sort of um, prescriptive in what that growth has to look like because I do believe in individual differences and individual preferences and individual choice ultimately. So, you know, as long as it's it's feeling good and it's working for you and it's helping, then great. I think that we all benefit from from growth. You know, I think it's quite funny. When I look at business, I think there are three plans that we need. We need our marketing plan, our strategic or our business plan. And we need our mind shit plan. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, you can't, if you, if you link these things together, your business is not going to grow if you don't know the direction you're going in. And it can't grow if you don't have a plan for your marketing and advertising, for instance, because they both go together. Uh, but at the end of the day, neither of those can work if you are not functioning 10 out of 10 because something's going on in your head. Absolutely, exactly. Our businesses are an extension of ours. Yeah. And so those patterns, those internal and external patterns are getting in the way of either implementing that strategy or, or doing what we need for advertising and marketing, then ultimately it's going to get in the way of the growth of our business. Yeah. And in some ways, I'm also quite, sounds. this is going to sound really awful, but I'm also quite pleased that we each all have our I'm going to call them our own hang-ups, yeah. But nearly most of the business people I meet, not all of them, but nearly most, they'll say there's been times they didn't feel good enough, there have been times they thought they were an imposter, all of those things, and they're all genuine. I've felt them. But I'm quite glad we have that because otherwise we'd have a business world full of clickbait with nobody having any filter as to when to dial it back and dial it forward. And I sometimes think the business world would actually be quite an awful place if nobody had any shit going on in their head. Is that is that a bit of a bizarre thought? Well, I think it would be abnormal, wouldn't it? If we yeah. had a, a business world without humans, you know, we need to have the human element, don't we, in our businesses? 
Um, we need to be able to connect and resonate with people, whatever field of business we're in. Um, it would be very abnormal to have a bunch of people who don't have any of the human things that we all have. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm giggling a little bit. You won't be able to see this if you're listening rather than the screen, but I'm giggling a little bit because as you started to answer that, Claire, I suddenly realised why there are people out there getting really concerned about AI. What if AI takes over the business world so there is no mindset shit that means people work at different levels? Oh, my God, it's going to be clickbait forever, isn't it? Scary. No. There are those of us that just won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see where I'm going with it. I now because I always thought when things like the AI came out, um, you know, we've had it with films for years, but when we got, you know, chat GPT, whatever it's called, and the AI, and then you started to look at the things it can help with to be more productive. I now just literally from your answer to that question or your comment on that question, Claire, I now understand where there are, why there are people going, this is actually dangerous. I now get a little bit of why they're going that mode. I think used in the right way. It's very, very clever, but I do get it. If everybody, if everybody just uses the AI to go, you know, Siri, chat, whatever it gets called, um, Please create me this particular marketing brochure, um, but do it without all my shit in my brain. This could be scary. This could be really scary. I've got a suspicion 10, 20 years down the road, Claire, because you don't look that old. 10, 20 years down the road, I wonder how many people need therapy because they feel insignificant because AI is doing their entire business. And even though they're raking in all the money and they can go on whatever cruises and holidays and all that other stuff they want to go on, they're still not fulfilled because their life is completely passive. Yeah, and there's no purposes. There's no Because I think those of us that start our own business are very often playing out a need in us that's usually triggered from something or other. Um, and I find it really fascinating that it takes a certain type of person who not only starts a business, but then when you look at how many of them start the business because they need to serve, and and I can relate this with myself, I feel I know what it feels like to be lonely and hold all the responsibility yourself, and I can't bear it when other people feel like that. Therefore, it's not a shock that when there's a crisis or something, Who's there to help? Dawn slap bang in the middle. No, uh, uh, but but although consciously you're helping other people, really what you're doing is you're filling holes in yourself, aren't you? So I think if business went to AI, those characters who lend to business, they'll have no personal purpose, no personal plight, no. And I think that would be really impactful. Can you imagine the? Childhood trauma of the future, you know, because we, we've got some common core ones, haven't we? Yeah. So we've got, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. Yeah. Can you imagine the one of the future, which is, I don't really exist. I feel like I haven't existed for my entire life. Wow. Yeah. I've not even thought of that. We, you know, what is currently a brilliant, phenomenal productivity idea for the world 
could be the next generation's childhood trauma. Well, that's Claire set up for the next 50 years. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't think we'll be here, Dawn, but um, but it's a scary thought. That is a scary thought. So as we sit in today and where we are now, and as we kind of round this up, which is fascinating, I could talk about this all day. In my observation, I think the two most common issues <clears throat> that women in business feedback that they have is frustration because they procrastinate and uh, 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 they they self-sabotage. So without sort of, you know, obviously I know that everything's personal and you're highly trained and, you know, but if there were, there were a couple of tips, if I was procrastinating or self-sabotaging, which usually pans out that you've hit a ceiling, doesn't it? You've hit a ceiling, you know what you've got to do and you just don't. Have you got anything that the listeners can take away as a start point as to where they should go if they're procrastinating or self-sabotaging? What I would recommend for people, if they're finding themselves being caught up in these procrastination patterns or these self-sabotage patterns, um, first of all, it's being able to get some, some space. From those patterns so what we would call in the therapy language is blending so when we blend with a particular internal pattern it's taking up all of the room we're hijacked by it we're being led by it it's basically got the the steering wheel we're, we're being steered by this pattern so first thing is to get some space um, and we do that through emotional regulation so doing things to ground ourselves in the present um, to to de-escalate the intensity of those emotions that might be coming through um, and being able to step back from the thoughts that we're having. And then when we do that, we're able to use um, the thinking part of our brain where we can get really curious about what those patterns are about. We The key here is we want to really understand our internal world so that we can help shift those patterns and not be at the mercy of them. So asking some, some questions around um, what does this pattern do for me? Um, what am I afraid will happen if I continue on with this task or if I have to make this decision or if I become successful or if or if something goes wrong? What is it that I'm afraid will happen? So that we can get really um, clear and connected with those different parts of ourselves. And then what we want to be doing is offering some some validation and some um, some support to those parts of us that feel that way. And then ultimately, and this piece is the therapy piece, is what's that this pattern connected to in terms of that core wound? Because actually, what we want to be doing is working on that core wound, that root cause level. Um, because when we do that, when we heal that wound, then these patterns naturally um, subside. Fabulous. Which is why the mindset philosophy, you know, not the psychotherapy side of it, you know, the mindset. People. I would call myself a mindset person. Tracy's a mindset but You know, we, we read books and we listen to nice things. And I always translate procrastination as you're not following your heart somewhere along the line but actually that's not quite true is it it's, it's yeah you're afraid to follow your heart because of what's on the other side or what you believe's on the other side which is why when you go down the mindset route if 
a childhood womb or trauma or attachment issue is the root of that procrastination or so I think I think the mindset solution is probably good as a first base because you actually might not be doing something that your heart desires, in which case if you shift and do something of your heart desire, you won't procrastinate anymore. And that's true and that's fine. If your pattern is even when you're doing something that is swinging your boat, then that probably means that you've got an attachment issue. Yeah, because usually what's underneath, if we drill it all down, uh, uh, you know, that next layer tends to be fear. So what 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 is that fear? Um, what are we afraid of? And, and and naming that. And then if we drill down underneath that fear, what we actually get to is a sense of being um, unlovable or unworthy. So people will feel that in two different ways. They can feel that in a competency layer, like I'm not good enough at my job. I don't have a sense of mastery um, that my, my competency is in question. I'm inadequate in some way. Or it's the lovability, which is I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. Um, people don't value me. Um, and so we can feel it in those two pillars, but ultimately, you know, even the competence one, we've learned that we, we need, in order to be loved, we need to be competent. So when we drill it all the way down, those wounds tend to be wounds where we feel like we've been unlovable or unworthy in some way. And so healing it on that level tends to shift our internal pattern. So we have more connection to self um, more grounding, more presence, more space, more inner peace, um, all these things that really underpin happiness um, comes from those root root wounds. I think what's cool about all of this, though, is because I get what you're saying, Dawn, if you're passionate about something, you might push through it. And yeah, for some people, you might. But ultimately, I think whatever you are doing that you're wanting to push forward with that procrastination is getting in the way of, part of me can't help wondering if even if you're doing something you love if that procrastination is born from the fact that you're afraid to put yourself out there because of what people will think of you don't matter if you're doing something passionate you'll still hold back absolutely yeah and that's the problem strange i know i know mine just from listening to that what you're saying about, you know, helping to understand the thing about some of it will be about whether you're lovable and, comp you know, all that lot. And another bit will be about inadequacy. Quite scary in a way, because I always thought it was like, you know, I always use the excuse, I'm not very good at marketing. Um, and sometimes I'll procrastinate about getting what what my business needs to move forward and grow. And I always thought it was like, it's because people won't like me and they'll reject the idea and all of this lot. And actually, it's probably that it's probably down to that that other level of I don't always, you know, sometimes I feel inadequate that, I, you know, I'm not it's not about the lovability. It's about I'm not as good as somebody else at that. Well, in some ways, it's almost like who gives a shit? Because if you're good for the person that needs you at that moment in time, nobody else exists for them anyway. How cool is that thought? I like that one. That's where we get our, our meaning from, isn't it? If we can help one person, if we can help a couple of people, we don't have to help the whole world. Mm. In whatever line of business we're in, it doesn't have to be mass market for everybody to be useful. We can still be useful and helpful and make a difference to people, even if it's just one person. Exactly. And at the end of the day, if you went out there, for some businesses, if you went out there, 
you know, because there's always this, oh, well, if I put this out, nobody's going to come and, you know, I won't get 5,000 followers and 6,000 likes. Well, that's all vanity anyway, because it's it does your business grow. That's the sanity. But let's say like the mind, the mind is going, oh, well, I won't get 50 people to the event. Could you handle 50 people? Could you serve 50 people? For many people, the answer is probably no. So who cares if you only get five? If the level of what you can serve in your business right now today is five people, then go for 50 and be kind to yourself that you might get five, 10, 15, 20, but that's okay too because that's all your, that's all right now you have the capacity to help. I love and it. That's, that's the other shift, isn't it? That when, if, if we aim for 50 and we get five, what does that mean if we take that to mean that we're not good enough, that we've fallen short, that we're inadequate, that we failed, that we're humiliated or we're being rejected because people didn't come, if that mean if that layer of meaning is attached to that attachment wound, that's going to feel very different than the people that talk about how, you know, these things are all learnings in business. That actually, if 50 people don't come to your event and five people do, it's only saying something about that event. It's not saying something about yeah. your work. And when we can create that shift, that frees us then to make more decisions and choices in our businesses because it doesn't have that layer of meaning attached to it. Yeah, and I think that's probably the the crux of many, isn't it? It's the fact that whatever it is that you don't perceive as good or bad as whatever, it's when you attach that to being something about your capability, your likeness, your popularity, you know, it, it's not. Take it away from it being linked to you. It might, you know, the messaging wasn't right. The day wasn't right, but it doesn't mean they're rejecting you. Um, and I love that. I think that's a great one for all business people to remember. And from a, a relationship point of view, Tracy, yeah. um, I mean, just just that small learning that I went through to stop because I was doing exactly the same. I was measuring uh, a pattern of another human being and measuring whether or not where I was on that love love scale. And the minute we took away that measure, actually it was great. And we we it the whole thing shifted. Um but I had to take that measure away. I had to recognize that I was I was attaching a meaning to something that was happening and it was my attachment of the meaning that was causing me the upset not not anything else you know so i think it's it's a great lesson to learn and claire i mean to put into context uh when claire and i get together i think the last time we were <laughs> i dropped you off at a hotel didn't i i was just dropping her off and i think we sat outside the hotel door it's about one o'clock in the morning <laughs> so ridiculous so we chat forever and i could probably do with you as my psychologist for the next 30 years of my life um but other than that <laughs> um thank you for coming on today it's been really um insightful as to the impact that we have on ourselves and and how our patterns are so related to things that we're probably not conscious of and we could be a lot gentler on ourselves is there a final thought you would like to leave for the audience claire just from a 
a person who is a psychologist about attachment and trauma, is there something that you could offer? I actually think that that last comment that you just made sums it up perfectly about being kinder to ourselves because in all of the the models that I'm trained in and all the different theories, the one that everything connects to is is self-compassion and that self-kindness, giving ourselves um, that um, support and um, nurture and kindness. This is actually healing. So whichever way we do that, if we can be kind to ourselves, then then we've got good good footing. That's lovely. Cool. Love Fabulous. That. So, Claire, thank you very much for joining us. As Dawn said, it was very insightful, uh, opened up some interesting thoughts in my head, that's for sure. Um, but on that note, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's... Goodbye from me. <laughs> See you next time, folks. If you've enjoyed our conversation today, please subscribe and download the podcast. To share your thoughts on this episode or to suggest future topics, connect with us on Instagram at Real Women Podcast. And thank you for listening. Listening.